And the title of the series, I better grab my notes. Otherwise, it's going to go way off. <laughs> but uh, the, we're going through the, uh, the book of Acts, and we're calling it the church on earth. Because as we look in the scripture, we see that it's really two places we see the church. The church on earth, the book of Acts, the New Testament. But then we also see the church in heaven in Revelation. And we know that that's, as the church, that's ultimately our final destination. That, you know, I don't want to be on earth forever. I want to go to heaven one day, and that's really the ultimate destination. But Acts really kind of is an outline for what the church looks like on earth, really, because this was the first church. This is where the church was birthed. Um, Acts chapter 1 shows us uh, Jesus' ascension, what happens around that and before that, but also um, uh, what the disciples do and where they're at and how the church gets formed. Uh, But the title for today's message, and we're going to finish out uh, chapter 1, is... uh, it's called a part in this ministry or numbered with us. I think it's more numbered with us. I couldn't figure out which title it should be. I'm just going to set a timer here so we don't go too long. But Acts was written by Luke. Uh, he was a doctor. He also wrote, obviously, the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. Acts has 28 chapters and... It covers, like I said, the birth of the church and Jesus' ascension through its spread throughout uh, Asia Minor and North Africa and Europe. Um, the word Acts is actually a Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar, but the word is praxeus. And it mainly covers, uh, I'm sorry, praxeus basically it was a word that they used to cover um, when famous people or rich people or prominent people did something great. They wrote it down. It was called the Acts of so-and-so. Um, it's interesting, we're going through kings and, uh, in the Old Testament, and they would say the acts of King Hezekiah or the acts of King so-and-so, uh, basically something very important. And I think it's interesting that this word is used for the birth of the church. Obviously, we have the apostles. We have Acts covers um, Peter's life and Paul's life and their ministry. So these are obviously great men of God, and these are Acts. Uh, but also, I think it can be used for the church in general. You know, if we're saved, the Bible says that we're kings and priests. And so if we're going out in the power of the Holy Spirit and just living life, you know, one day someone might say the acts of Gus or the acts of Fred or the acts of whoever is a believer. Uh, but it's written around A.D. 62-63, so around 30 years or so after Christ's ascension. So if Jesus ascended in the 80s, this is about the time that it would be written, 30 years later. But previously we looked at Jesus' ascension and how he had told them to wait in Jerusalem. And this time the disciples actually obeyed. <laughs> At first, remember, we were looking at, they were staring up in heaven. The two angels show up and say, hey, stop standing around and looking in heaven. He's going to come back. You're not going to miss it. Uh, Go and wait for him. So they go to Jerusalem, and they wait, and they meet together. And that's uh, where we pick it up today in verse 15. And we're going to read the first five verses together here, 15 through 20. Um, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth, uh, before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Uh, that's a little gross for Sunday morning. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. 
And uh, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Verse 15 says, and in those days, um, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. So essentially it says in those days that, you know, maybe it was a day, maybe it was two days, maybe it was a day and a half, maybe it was a week, maybe it was a month. Um, I don't really know, but it's interesting. Sometimes when God asks us to um, wait on something or to go and wait, sometimes we think, oh, it'll be 15 minutes. You know, I tried to go get my car inspected yesterday thinking that it would be a lot like New York. It's 20 minutes, $20, you get a sticker in and out. Apparently it's two hours, they do all these things the first time you inspect your car down here, so I had to make an appointment. So for me, it wasn't exactly as expected. Um, you know, but this idea of waiting on God is not just twiddling our thumbs, it's not just God says to go wait and we just sit around and do nothing. It's really more of an act of waiting where God says, this is something I have for you. I need you to wait for it to come to be. So do we just go around and sit down? No, you know, we're still active in our walk with the Lord. We still share our faith. We still do what we've been doing as long as God has sort of said to keep doing that thing. As long as, you know, he hasn't said stop doing that or go somewhere else. If we're going to wait, we keep doing what we're doing until he gives us further instruction. You know, a lot of times I hear um, from people about, even in my own life really, about not sure what to do now. You know, what do I do now? What do I do now? It's been a while since I've heard God's voice. I haven't heard God's voice in a while. And well, what do I do? Well, wait, wait to hear what he has to say. I think a lot of times when we haven't heard God's voice in a while, we try, as we'll see perhaps here, um, but we try and make something up. We try and say, well, God hasn't said for, for me to do anything. Maybe I should start doing something. And really, I think a lot of times the answer is, well, what is the last thing God spoke to us to do? What is the last thing God said for you and I to do in our lives? Was it to wait? Was it to perhaps share with a coworker or reconcile with a family member? Or maybe it was to go move somewhere or go to be a missionary or whatever it was. What was the last thing God said to do? And I think sometimes God's not going to tell us the next thing to do until we've been obedient in the first thing to do. You know, as we'll see uh, in the coming chapters and weeks that the Holy Spirit comes down and empowers these guys, people get saved, the church begins to grow tremendously. You know, that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't waited into Jerusalem like Jesus had asked. If they had gone to some other city, if they had spread out and gone somewhere else, well, they wouldn't have seen the blessing that's about to come upon them. So they had to be obedient in that first thing. And they had to wait um, for God to do what God had said he was going to do. But it's interesting that he says here, that Peter says here, even while they're waiting, even before their ministry really kind of begins and the church really begins to go out and go forth, he says that the Holy Spirit spoke by David, by David, that they even knew then, before the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit was someone who's going to speak through people. They knew that these guys in the Old Testament, like David and the prophets and Saul even for a while, and Samson had the presence of Holy Spirit in their life. That obviously these guys in the, in the Old Testament before Jesus died on the cross and, and uh, the veil was torn in the temple, making the Holy of Holies available to everybody. But they knew that the Holy Spirit was available to a few people back then. And it wasn't necessarily guaranteed either. You know, David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, we don't have that worry. You know, as believers, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, if we continue in sin or we uh, turn away from God or we're disobedient. But God's never going to leave us or forsake us. In the Old Testament, under a different covenant, they didn't quite have the same freedom or the same guarantee. And yet they still knew that when these guys spoke, and it was the word of God, that it was really the Holy Spirit speaking. It wasn't David making up some great poetry, although it was, and it was some great songs, but that they were inspired by God himself as the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that they used that. 
they use that as the basis of what they're saying. So in a way, they're saying, hey, let's look what the scriptures say. Let's look even what has happened in the past. Let's look back and see what God did in the past, and perhaps we can get some insight over there. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, you guys probably know this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, Paul saying to Timothy here, a young pastor, that every bit of Bible is effective. Every bit of the Bible is from God. There's not one book that, well, God didn't write. I mean, maybe you've had the Apocrypha or maybe you have some of the Gnostic Gospels, you can make that argument. But the candidate of Scripture that we have today, it's all God breathed. You know, we can do a study in the Old Testament. We can do a study in the New Testament. We can go back and forth. And it's equally God's word. Yeah, there's a little bit different revelation that goes on in them. You know, obviously the gospel is very clear. We know who the Messiah is. Well, if we read the Old Testament, we don't know who the Messiah is yet, but we know he's coming and we get prophecies about him. But it's all scripture. It's all profitable. You know, you can spend your time reading through Leviticus or Numbers even. And yeah, it may be a little bit harder to get a nugget of truth out of a genealogy, but it's still God's word. It's still good for us to hear and to be under. But I think even more than that, that it's profitable. You know, a lot of times we read things in the world or we go see a movie or we hang out and we do things and it's not always profitable. Maybe we didn't really lose any money. Maybe if you go to the movies, you lose 20 bucks because the tickets are so expensive and the movie wasn't that good. Or maybe it was okay, but it just wasn't profitable. But if we spend five minutes in the word of God, it can profit our whole day. It can profit our whole life. Maybe there's a verse in there that'll profit us for the rest of our life. It'll be something that sticks with us. If we spend an hour, if we spend weeks, if we spend years of our lives in God's word, yeah, we may lose friends. We may lose, you know, things of the world because we start to make decisions that are more godly than are worldly. But we begin to profit spiritually. You know, at the very least, we know, okay, yeah, maybe I've lost everything. Maybe I'm about to be beheaded like some of our brothers and sisters around the world. But they have the prophet of heaven. They know they're going to heaven because they know what the scripture says. But it's interesting that it's all the same God. You know, there's an argument that the Old Testament is not the same God as the New Testament. And if you take it at the surface, maybe you could, you could come away with that conclusion. But when you read it and you realize the heart of God and the reason why he had to do things and how it was a different government and how after Jesus came, he did away with the law, he fulfilled the law, you see, no, it's the same God. And if you dig a little deeper and read a little bit more in faith, you'll see, wait a minute, Jesus kind of did show up in the Old Testament if you look at some of the Christophanies. And these are things that we could spend, um, you know, really hours studying, but I just wanted to touch on today. But verse 12, no, I'm sorry, it says, not verse 12. He says he had, a, he had a part in this ministry of the 12. You know, he had a part of this ministry that Judas, just like the other disciples, was one of the 12 disciples. That he was one of the, the inner circle. Yeah, there was the three guys who were a little bit closer with Jesus who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. But out of all the disciples, he was the 12. He were, these were the guys who had the Last Supper with him. Even Judas ate the Last Supper. Um, but he had a part in it. You know, in the, the apostolic ministry, these guys were disciples. They'd eventually become the apostles. You know, apostle is a delegate, a messenger, one who was sent forth with orders. But it specifically applied to the 12 apostles of Christ that these apostles, these were the guys who actually witnessed his resurrection. These were the guys who were around him when he did the miracles, who all fled before the cross, but all, as we'll see later, will die for their faith. You know, if you read Fox's Book of the Martyrs, you can kind of get some church history there. But their life, you know, no one else is an apostle in that sense. 
you know, I'm not an apostle in that sense. I wasn't there at the, you know, all the miracles. I didn't see him heal lame people. I wasn't there at the cross. I didn't see him resurrected. He didn't speak to me directly on the road and explain all the old scriptures to me. I wasn't called to be an apostle and start the church in that way. And I don't think anyone really is anymore. I think that the, the gift of apostle in that sense was for that time only. Now, as we'll see, when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the church, there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there is, you know, Paul even says some to be apostles, some evangelists, some teachers, as we'll see in a minute. Actually, let's just read it, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, it's not the title in the front of the church or on the side of the church van that you see, you know, the most holy bishop, reverend, apostle, John the Third. you know. Eh, maybe the guy's an apostle, I don't know. But really, you know, these apostles were witness to Jesus' resurrection. They were sent out to be fathers of the church and to plant the church and to start the church. But I think that in the same day, you know, for you and I, there still can be this role of an apostle. Now, not in the same sense as back then, back in the day, but I think more of a sense in, in a missionary sense, in going out, being called out to go and plant a church, to go start a church. Um, you know, uh, it could be you and I. Why? Because we all are witnesses to the resurrection if we're believers. If we've come to faith in Jesus, we've by faith, like Jesus said to Thomas, those who, who, see with, who believe without seeing are doing something greater, have a greater thing upon them that we've seen Jesus' resurrection, and we've seen it played out in our lives. And so we have that, and then if God calls us to be a part of something, well, we're probably gifted with apostleship. You know, I never thought I'd be out here in the middle of Rockville now, standing in my living room with some friends over, teaching the Bible. Yeah, you know, I've been a part of Bible studies ever since I got saved, where we met at a home, and we taught the Bible, and we went around and, and did worship very much the same, and we did a group Bible study. Um, so I've been a part of that. You know, I've known guys, several of my friends have gone out to plant churches. Uh, four or five of my friends I've known and have grown up in the Lord and been called out to go plant churches place, in different places. So I've seen it and I've witnessed it in a sense, this apostolic ministry. And, and I don't necessarily know that, that planting one church is an apostolic ministry. Maybe it's, you know, your life is just developed around that. So I've seen it and I've always thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But I never really understood or thought that, you know, God would use me for it. And I still go, God, what, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> You've got a sense of humor, you know, because it's not just me. It's about the Lord. The Lord is already doing something. I've said it, a, you know, a million times that when I felt like God was calling my family to come down here, we come down here and there's people already doing stuff. I mean, you guys are moved. You guys are moved. You're all listening to the Lord and looking for him to do something and expecting him and hearing him say, I'm doing something. And I just kind of show up and he's already doing something. So it's really God's doing the work. But to be a part of that, to be a part of that, no matter what side of the equation you fall on, is fantastic. It's fantastic. You know, um, but verse 17, you know, whose ministry is it really? He says, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Well, who is the ministry? Who called the disciples? Jesus. They, you know, Matthew was collecting taxes. The other guys were fishing. One guy was hanging out under a tree. Jesus said, come follow me. Come follow me. So Jesus called them all in the ministry, which was really just walking around with Jesus and following him and seeing what Jesus was going to do. 
But then as we see here in Acts, in the next chapter and in the following chapters, well, we see the disciples doing one thing before the day of Pentecost, and we see them doing completely different things after the day of Pentecost. So what changed? You know, my wife was having trouble with her phone last night. Uh, she had trouble getting the SD card in there and having it read, and she was trying to reboot it so that it would use all the memory. She was having just technical issues, and it was frozen. And she goes, my phone's frozen. I don't know what to do. And I said, did you take the SD card out and try and reboot it? She goes, no, why would that have anything? I was like, well, that's the last thing you've changed, and now you're getting an error, so let's go back and undo that last thing you've changed. And it turned out that worked. And I say that because what changed with the disciples, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks? The Holy Spirit comes. So if, if their lives look this way, the Holy Spirit comes, and then their lives look completely different. Thousands of people get saved. The church gets planted. The church gets started. Well, whose ministry is it really? It's the Holy Spirit's. Because their ministry was, let's run away. Let's call down fire from heaven upon them, Lord. <laughs> yeah, we just rebuke them. And Jesus says, guys, <laughs> you know, I'm going to put his ear back on his head. But when the Holy Spirit comes, something is very different. So it's obviously the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry. And that's the thing we need to remember, that we're not building our own kingdom. That, you know, if I could live somewhere else right now, in a sense, I would live somewhere else. I'd want to go own land and have trees and forests and all these things. But God has been here, and I'm happy to be here. But it has to be about God. It has to be about God. And I think it's very, we can very quickly get off track as soon as we lose our focus on whose ministry it really is. And when I say ministry, I don't necessarily just mean, you know, church or the pulpit or anything like that. I mean our lives. You know, our lives are our are ministry. When we go out somewhere, we're Christians. We're vessels of the Holy Spirit. But that's who, who's doing this, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never draw attention to himself. You know, there's a lot of circles in Christianity where we draw attention to the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit's going, no, Jesus. I'm here to convict the world of sin and point them to righteousness and lead them to Jesus. I never want to draw attention to myself. And, that, and that's the mark of the true ministry of the Holy Spirit is that it, it points to Jesus. It leads us to who God is and our need for him. But verse 18 says, now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Yum. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. You know, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Judas sinned. And Judas died a gruesome death. It was suicide. He went out to this field. He hung himself. The tree branch broke. He fell in the pots. Gushed open. Pretty gross. And I think that that's sad. That that's, you know, wasn't wasn't the destiny that I'm sure God wanted for him. You know, God doesn't desire that any of us have to suffer. Or God doesn't desire that anyone perish. You know, that's why Jesus came. But that's a gruesome death, you know. Matthew 27, 2 through 9 says, And when they had bound him, they led him away, that's Jesus, and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful, and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. You know, we paid you. We got Jesus. You know, you're guilty. Do it. You know, that's not our problem. Then he threw down the piece of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. <laughs> Good for them, not wanting to tithe on money they used to <laughs> kill somebody. 
And they consulted together and brought with them the potter's field to, buy, to bury strangers in. Mm. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom, whom they, the children of Israel, priced. And man, this guy died in the field of strangers. This guy who sat with Jesus, who had a different vision, who thought that Jesus' kingdom was going to come right away, who gave himself over to stealing the money, and as we see in different scriptures, that Satan himself uh, indwelled in Judas at one point. This guy was open to all the wrong things. He was around the very embodiment of God, and he missed it. And his life ended sadly. You know, the Bible says that godly sorrow produces repentance, but worldly sorrow death. And we see that, you know, people can get sorrowful in this day and age. And we really have two choices in that sorrow. That sorrow, if it's from God, will either lead us to repentance and to turn toward God, or it'll lead us towards death, where we see people who are very sorry and are very unhappy in their lives. And they kill themselves because they have no hope. Because they have no hope. And sometimes even society glamorizes it, and it's not a glamorous thing. It's a sad thing. You know, it says that he, he, he died in a field that they used to bury strangers in, in a trash heap. In a trash heap. You know, this is where all the pottery was, that this guy who could have been known by God, friends with God, ends up being buried in a place where they bury strangers, in the dump. But it was a field of blood. Field of blood. That's a real pleasant name, prime real estate. Hey, we have some new condos for you. Uh, field of blood development <laughs> come down to the pool it's open you know <laughs> uh, no thanks you know it's a, gar a garbage dump and i think that that's sad and poetic in a way because we're god's pottery you know we read in jeremiah about come down to the potter's real wheel he wants to mold us and make us but we need to be soft and pliable and and uh judas he wasn't he had his own mind he had his own ways he was turned over even to the enemy and and uh and it's sad. It's very sad. When someone takes their own life or someone is very suicidal, it's very sad. You know, there are times in my life where I knew the Lord I was suicidal. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I never took my own life or was never able to. But it's sad. And I think that it's rampant these days. You hear about all these young kids even who commit suicide day, day and age. Why? Because there's no hope. You tell someone they're evolved, they come from a monkey, that they're worthless. <laughs> what do you expect? You tell them that there is no God. Man, if there was no God, I wouldn't be around today, and I wouldn't want to be around today. But we think that, you know, this interesting, this field of blood, does it remind you of anything earlier on in the Bible? Maybe Cain and Abel, where uh, his brother's blood cries out in Genesis 4, 9 through 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, I don't know if he said it like that, but that's why I imagine it. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. You know that Cain killed his brother Abel because God didn't accept his sacrifice. Very similar, I think, with Judas. God didn't accept what Judas was trying to do to, to, to get God's will be done. And we see that there was consequences of that, to that, to, at least in Cain's life, it was harder for him to get food. But we saw the same thing, too, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden for their sin, that now they had to sweat to get food out. And 
man, I'm, I, I appreciate farmers and I think it's romantic in a way, but I am glad I can just go to the supermarket and buy food. I'm glad Subway is down the street. I give them $5 and they give me a foot long. You know, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to till all day. But we see that there, there's, uh, there's death that goes on and there's consequences to murder and there's consequences to shedding other people's blood. And, and many of us as believers are going, well, I've maybe never shed someone's blood physically. Maybe I've never done that. But I think that maybe we shed our brother's blood in the faith a lot, as we'll see here maybe in a minute. You know, that this was even prophesied in Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. You know, it says, Throw to the potter that uh, princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them in the house of the Lord for the potter. That even God knew that this was going to happen. It doesn't mean that God wanted it per se to happen, but he knew it would happen. You know, uh, princely price. Well, 30 pieces of, was the price of a slave and probably even a cheap slave. But it, it's, it's sad that this is the way this guy ends up, that his blood gets shed and he ends up shedding his own blood and and that's a desolate place it says that this guy's place would be a dwelling place would be desolate and you know i think sometimes we confuse loneliness and isolation we think that loneliness is necessarily a bad thing it's not necessarily a good thing i mean it's it's hardly lonely but when we're following god and, and we're serving god and we're seeking after the things he has for us sometimes things can get lonely you know sometimes you know I don't, you know, thankfully I have you guys and I'm making new friends down here, but it's not the same. I had a lot of friends up in New York and so it's a little lonely, but that's okay because I know God has me here, but I've been on the flip side of that coin where I wasn't following God and my decisions were casting people away from me where people wouldn't want to hang out with me. And so I was very isolated. I was lonely, but I was isolated. You know, God sometimes desires loneliness for us that we might seek him, but he never wants us really to be isolated. There's a difference in that. You know, following God in obedience can be lonely. And following sin to the grave leaves us isolated and desolate. You know, Ecclesiastes, I didn't look it up, but it talks about, you know, a rich man or someone who spends their whole life going after these other things, but he, he doesn't have a family. He doesn't have friends. And, well, what happens at the end of your life then? That's, that's pretty desolate. And I have to say, for, for those of us who have known the Lord, you know, in the end times, people are going to turn away. And I've seen some of my own friends even turn away from God. You know, God knows their hearts. God knows where they are. But, you know, there's nothing more desolate than forsaking God. You know, when all the, all the people began to leave Jesus after he began to get kind of weird in their eyes and talk about drinking his blood and eating his body and the sacrifice. And he turns to the disciples and says, are you guys going to go too? Are you guys going to leave with the rest of them? And, uh, you know, Peter and the guys go, Lord, you know, We've got no place else to go. You know, this is it, God. You know, we've given our whole lives to follow you. We don't have our jobs, our houses, our friends anymore. And we know you're the way of life. We know you're the gospel. So we're following you no matter what. But if we tasted that God is good, maybe we were saved. Or maybe we just, some people have gone into church and come out of church. And you then turn away from that. Man, how desolate is that life? You once had the hope of heaven. You once had forgiveness of sins. You once had true fellowship with God and other believers. And then we turn and we go, what are we going to go to? We're going to go back to drinking, back to drugs, back to relationships, back to gambling, back to being a workaholic. I mean, what is left? I mean, maybe we'll gain the whole world. But if we lose our soul, you know, Jesus says, you know, that's, that's not good. Because we're going to die and be, be lost and truly be desolate. Because that's what hell is. It's isolation from God. Isolation of God. It's not a party with a kegger. It's God is not there. And you're totally aware of his not being there. 
But on that note, you know, what do we desire? What do we desire? Do we desire an earthly kingdom like Judas? Or do we desire a heavenly kingdom like, like Jesus? You know, God will use us if we, if we want him to. God has plenty of opportunities. Just like Judas had a part in the ministry, God has plenty of opportunities for us to be used by him. And that's in a good way. Not that he needs us. He doesn't need us. You know, if, if you guys didn't come here, someone else would come here. If I didn't come here, someone else would come here. And I've seen it. You know, it's like we can just have a part in what God wants to do. Because, again, whose ministry is it? Jesus's. It's the Holy Spirit's. And so if God's going to get something done, he's going to get it done. Like when we were at the uh, pastor's conference last week, they were sharing about how all these Muslims are coming to faith. And a lot of them is through dreams where Jesus is just showing up in the middle of a dark Muslim country into dreams and saying, I'm Jesus. I love you. I died for you. Follow me. Or there's a Christian. <laughs> They're going to come talk to you. You find them. You listen to them. You believe in me. And they do it. Tons of stories. I'll have to find the materials, but... It's, it's amazing because God is going to do what he's going to do. He's not going to be hindered by us, but he still wants us to have a part in it. But again, it's our choice. We can choose it or we can turn away from it. But let's go on. In verse 21, um, and we'll read on. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And one guy's got three names, the other guy's got one. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast her lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles it says in verse 21 it says therefore of these men who have accompanied us accompanied us excuse me all the time that the lord jesus went in and out among us you know accompanied all the time you know the importance of being around a church believers in ministry you know when i first got saved and you know i just wanted to go to church all the time i knew it was the right thing I just wanted to go. The people there were great. They loved me. I wanted to know more about God. Um, you know, my other option was what? I'm going to go out to the bar. I'm going to go out and get high with my friends. I'm going to go out and do just waste my time. And I just, by the grace of God, I didn't have the desire for that anymore. So I was around church a lot. And other people were too. And I was always at a church function, ready to serve. I knew the ins and outs of ministry because I was just around it. And that's not to say it's always a good thing to do that. I mean, we need to get out. We need to have friends at work. We need to have friends in the world in a sense where how else are these people going to come to know Jesus? And, you know, I think we can get caught in a bubble. But I think certainly for a season when we first come to know the Lord or we're going through a hard time, it's good to be in the house of God. It's good to always be around the things of God. You know, we get to see other believers and we get to be ministered to and minister to others all the time. But, you know, I didn't go to a seminary. You know, I had a commute that was an hour, hour and a half each way, and I listened to Bible teaching each way, and I joked that that was my Bible college every day for a better part of 10 years. But really, a lot of it was like the School of Moses. I'd go through it. You know, we'd go through something on Sunday. I'd go through it in the week. I was around these other guys, like I said, who were pastors, who, um, you know, discipled me in different ways, whether it was verbally, officially, or just, hey, you're my pastor. I'm seeing you go through some life situation, and I'm learning from it. Like, my kids learn a lot of things from us. I remember when my daughter first picked up our glasses probably a year, year and a half ago, and she was wearing them, and she took them off, and she wiped them with her shirt. 
Now, I never showed her how to do that. I never said, Mia, to wash the glasses, you do this. I just, I'm sure I just did it, or her mom did it, and she saw it, and then when she was mimicking us, that's what she did. And I think that's the same way with ministry. A lot of times, ministry is just caught. It's just, I'm around other godly people, whether they're leadership, quote-unquote, or not, and I see them go through life with God, and we learn a lot from that. Sometimes we learn a lot more from that than we do from the study time on Sundays. But, you know, there's blessings of friends and family following after God. You know, like last week uh, when we were at the conference, I saw a lot of guys who I haven't seen in a while. Um, a lot of guys who I have no doubts about in the ministry. I go, you know, I hear them go out and do something for the Lord. I don't doubt it for a second. I pray about it. I encourage them. You know, if they ever wanted to come down here and do worship, like I had a couple of friends who were about an hour, hour and a half east of here at another conference this week, and uh, they were going to come out and visit today, but one of their cars kind of blew up, so they couldn't make it. So, and that's, like I was sharing with them earlier, that's kind of par for the course with these guys. That's just kind of who they are. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not like, oh my, like, I pray for them, but it's not, you know, this is them. <laughs> you know, they hitchhiked across the country and stuff. They're kind of, <laughs> I pray for them. But they love the Lord, and I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about them in that sense. Um, you know, even in the social world with work, we network with people. You know, a lot of times you get a job because you know somebody. Um, you know, you may get introduced because you know them, but then your skills kind of prove that you are who you say you are. But the other side, as we'll probably look at, there's dangers of nepotism. You know, family or friends don't necessarily make the best choice. Um, sometimes I've heard of people who have hired people from the church, and it just didn't work out. Even in my own life, you know, maybe I wasn't the best employee because I knew this person, or I thought because we we're, you know, we we're friends, it would go the other way when I wasn't in, uh, when I was going through a hard season. You know, sometimes there's not the same respect for authority or position, or sometimes there's a, a feeling of entitlement just because you put in a position because you're family. But on the other side, sometimes we know we can trust people. Sometimes it's the better choice because we know we can trust them. But he says here that they've been there from the beginning, you know, that they wanted these guys, they thought the next apostle was going to have to be somebody who was there from the beginning. We went through it all. We saw Jesus do it all. So it's got to be someone else who, who was exactly like us and with us from the time. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's just interesting because that, that can be a dangerous qualifier there because sometimes God wants to bring someone in with a completely different perspective um, and not to just be a yes man. But he says in verse 22 that one of these, one of these two guys, uh, uh, Joseph or Sabbath, Justice or Matthias would be it. You know, and he says that one of these must become a witness of his resurrection must become like weren't they all witnesses of his resurrection anyway you know it sounds like they're really trying to force the issue here you know um if you're not a true witness you can't be forced into it you know if you're not a believer you can't go out and really do ministry because you don't even believe the stuff that the ministry is about but on the same side you know if you're not called to do something someone can't force you into that calling you know i don't think that i have the gift of evangelism certainly i'll evangelize and god god's been get me to pray more and seek more and want to do more evangelism perhaps in the next few weeks or few months maybe we'll go out and do some evangelism in the area but I don't consider myself an evangelist you know I know that God has called me to do other things so I couldn't really be forced into a lifestyle of Billy Graham it would be noticeable you know there probably wouldn't be 30,000 people <laughs> at the stadium it would be me you know and I probably wouldn't even go I'd be <laughs> I'm too afraid I don't want to do this <laughs> but really we can't force people into ministry and I think we see that a lot um, people do things because they feel they're obligated or because they have to, and, and things don't get done so well. You're constantly saying, hey, keep doing this, keep doing this, you know. 
But really, maybe these guys were good choices. Maybe Joseph uh, Barsabbas' justice was a good choice. Maybe this guy was around from the beginning. He was faithful. He did see the Lord um, after his resurrection. Maybe Matthias as well. Maybe these were good guys. You know, later on in Acts, we'll see about the deacons who come to the church. Maybe they were, they were serving God. Maybe they did have a heart for God. You know, I tried to look up the name definitions to see if there was anything deep in there, and there really wasn't too much. But Joseph Barsabbas Justice means let him add son of Sabbath and the just. And Matthias was gifted of God. So maybe, maybe in a sense that one guy's heart was more for God and the other guy's heart was more like, let me just see what I can do for here. Maybe, maybe, you know, um, maybe their motives. I mean, maybe that's why Matthias got the role. Let me see if they cast their lots. Um, but all the logic in the world won't let us figure out God's will for our lives. You know, a lot of times when we go through situations, you can write up an Excel sheet of pros and cons. <laughs> you know, you can go back and forth. Well, if I did this, then I did this. Or if I did this, then I did this. And sometimes I think that that's healthy. I think that in some ways it's good to consider something before you do it. Even the Bible would instruct us to do that, that that's wisdom. But in the end, if we're trying to determine what God's will is for our life, a spreadsheet's not going to determine God's will for your life. You know, it didn't make a lot of sense for us to, you know, come up here and, and, and move here, leave my job, leave my ministry, leave my friends, move to a more expensive state. It doesn't add up, God. And yet it was apparently, we'll see in the long run what the fruit of it is, but apparently it was God's will. And so far he's worked it out for us. And I've had confidence in that. But really, an Excel spreadsheet's not going to do that. You got, who am I going to marry? This woman has all these qualities and this woman has all these qualities. Well, is it the one God has for you? You know, it really has to be a word from God himself. You know, I've shared before at other places that it's like, it has to be God's word in your life. I didn't come down here because I wanted to. It's because God gave us a word to come to Bethesda. And that should be the same thing in all our lives. When we come down to make decisions, especially spiritual ones, especially about ministry, is it really God is the one who is leading us? You know, 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure that we need to be careful who we appoint positions in our life, whether that's our personal life, a wife, a friend, uh, someone we go into business with, like the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, or even in ministry. And man, be careful you don't lay your hands on someone too early. I've met a lot of great people down here so far, and I look forward to doing ministry with them. Um, but you know, I gotta be very careful who I trust with what. And I'm not necessarily saying you guys in the room or the guys that I know already, but we just have to be careful and they need to be careful with me too because they don't know you guys don't really know who I am yet you know <laughs> you know you don't and so we need to be careful who we appoint to have power in our lives till we see till we know until we've heard from the Lord that that this is the right thing to do but verse 24 says and they prayed and said you O Lord who know the hearts of all show which of these two you have chosen it sounds like a fantastic prayer you O Lord who know the hearts of men know which one of these two we need to choose. And I think it's interesting, verse 24 says that, you, you know, that they prayed. Well, they shouldn't have, they had prayed first. If they're trying to fulfill the role of the apostles, shouldn't they have prayed first? You know, when Gus and I were at the conference, the guy was sharing about when he was at seminary at, at some denomination that he ended up leaving, you know, prayer was number 24 on how to start a church. And he brought it up, well, why isn't it number one? And they go, well, it's not in any specific order and all this other stuff. And uh, it was a really good, really good message. But man, if if it's God's ministry, 
And God's the one who wants to see it done, and it's his blood who bought the church, and his blood and who, who, who saves us. Man, shouldn't we ask him what he wants to do? God, where do you want me to go to church? God, what do you want me to do with my life? You saved me. Well, I think a lot of times we wait until we've got our Excel spreadsheet. We've narrowed it down to two different cars, and we say, God, which one of these cars or which one of these jobs do you want me to get? And I think so often God has door number three for us. I want you to get a motorcycle or <laughs> I want you to walk to work or whatever God's answer is, you know. But the two you have chosen, Peter says here, yeah, you know, God did chose them. They were involved. They were a part of the disciples and they were called to follow him. But God had other plans for these guys. You know, it's obvious. We don't really hear much about these guys anywhere else in scripture. You know, yeah, they probably did the work. They were probably involved in ministry. They were probably faithful. But God had other plans for them. You know, we don't see them writing the New Testament. Matthias didn't pen, you know, all the epistles. It was another guy that we're going to meet eventually. But I think we can take away from that that we need to be careful what box we put God and other people into. We need to be very careful. Sometimes we'll say it's only going to be these two people. You know, verse 25, you know, limiting God by giving two choices. And like I said, God usually picks door number three. You know, when uh, Saul was king and God sent Samuel to go anoint someone else to be king and uh, Jesse's sons were all lined up, the one who was going to be anointed was still out in the field. So, you know, Samuel goes down the line, he's like, oh, this has got to be the guy, Lord. And God goes, nope. Oh, this has got to be the guy. Nope, 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 nope. And he goes, do you have any other sons? He goes, yeah, I got David. He's out in the field with the sheep. And that was the guy God had chosen. You know, David wasn't in the original lineup, and that's the same with us. It's the same with us. I bet you and I could each look at our lives and say, you know what, I probably wasn't in God's original lineup or anyone's original lineup for anything. And here we are. Here we are. You know, God goes into the highways and the byways. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know, God picks a guy who is Saul, a murderer. Not Matthias, gift of God. He picks someone totally different. You know why? I think it's because it's grace. Anytime God wants to use us in our life, we need to be aware that it's his grace that we're being used by God. Because the minute we begin to think, oh, I'm worthy of this, or that's right, God, you asked me to do this, is when we really miss the boat and there's really not much to be said in the book of Acts, great works about us. Because they're just not great if it's not God. In the same sense, we answer to God. We please God. You know, if, if our lives may look like the last qualified life on earth to someone, so be it if God has called us to do it. But I think verse 25, you know, as we're uh, coming to a close here in a minute, that he's bringing up Judas' past sins. You know, the guy is dead. The guy is dead. And he's kind of drilling into him here. And I think we need, to, we need to have forgiveness in the church. When something happens, when someone gets hurt, when, some, when someone falls away, we need to not keep bringing it up and, and beating them up, but to pray for them and encourage them and, and see if we could help them if possible. But again, they were taking it upon themselves to fulfill some role that God hadn't given to them. Jesus said, go wait. Jesus didn't say, go back to Jerusalem, find another apostle, go out and do the work of the ministry. He said, go wait for the Holy Spirit. He'll meet you there. And I think that that's the dangers of presumptions of what we do when we're waiting. We're waiting and we begin to sit around and go, I got nothing else to do on my Saturday. Let me go out and try and fix the dishwasher. And we ended up breaking it. You know, if we weren't meant to do it, we shouldn't do it. And that's, again, why we need to always fall back on the last thing God has said. And I think even more than that, in verse 26, they cast lots. 
They're waiting on God, they pray, and they cast lots. That seems crazy to us today. You know, I play this game, World War II board game with some friends, and it's called Access and Allies, and we roll dice, and we pick our teams out of the hat. That's basically what they're doing. They're saying, all right, let's put everyone's names in a hat, and we'll pick the name out of the hat here. We're going to cast lots. Um, and that's sort of an old tradition. If we look back in Leviticus, casting lots for a scapegoat, Joshua surveying the land, they cast lots for the inheritance, except for the priests. Uh, prophesying for the soldiers, casting lots for his garments. You know, these pictures of casting lots that we see in the scripture that I'm not going to get into for time usually have a negative connotation to it or usually kind of have just kind of let's, we've got a problem, we need a solution, let's just cast lots and get get up with it. You know, even Jonah, it said they cast lots to throw him overboard. You know, maybe it was more like the Uman uh, and Thuman, you know, in Exodus 28, 30, this thing that the priests wore uh, as a breastplate and they'd reach in and pull a stone out and it would be a yes or no and we don't really know exactly what they are. Um, but we need to be careful that we're not casting lots for our ministry. You know, that it's got to be called. It's got to be called. Um, you know, Jeremiah talks about all these guys were going around saying, oh, the burden of the Lord is upon us. God's giving me a message. Oh, and here it is. And God says to Jeremiah, go tell these guys I didn't give you a burden. You don't want to speak my word. It's not heavy. You don't need to do it. And I think a lot of times with us, again, that obligation, you know, we, oh, I have to do this. No, you don't. God loves a cheerful giver. If you want to give of your life for God, he wants you to do it. He doesn't make you do it. And that's sort of the same thing here. They cast their lots for them. They, it says, verse 26, they cast their lots. This was all them. You know, I, I don't want my ministry to be someone because the dice rolled up that way. What kind of obligation would I have to it? Or what kind of dissatisfaction would we have in our lives if everything was decided by casting lots? We'd always be wondering, what if I picked column B in that Excel spreadsheet instead? But it says here that he was numbered with them. He was counted with them. And it just makes me think of hazing, to be counted with them. These college kids, they go out and they have to beat each other up and make them do dumb things. I remember my friends getting hazed in, in my brief stint in college. Man, I don't want friends who have to beat me up to get in there, like in a gang. Or have to, to number me? And, and would this guy always be considered a half-apostle because he was numbered with them? All these other guys, Jesus called into the ministry, but we picked your name out of a hat. <laughs> so don't you forget your place, Matthias. You know, it was either a bench warmer. And even in Exodus and in First Chronicles and Second Samuel, we hear about God not wanting to number the people, and, and David numbered the people, and people get sick. And, and even the guy David had to number the people wouldn't do it completely because he knew it was wrong. You know, the mark of the beast even being numbered in the future. You know, God God knows how many people there are on earth. God knows how many hairs are or are not on our head. Knows how much money is or is not in our bank account. Knows how many days we're going to live. And he doesn't number us. He knows how many stars are in the universe. And the Bible even says that he has a name for all of them too. Because we're more important than a number. You, your life and my life are way more important than to cast lots for it. You know, God didn't roll the dice and say in heaven and say, Jesus, you're the one who's going to go down there. And the Holy Spirit's like, yes, I don't have to go to the cross. It didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way. You know, God cares for us. God cares for us. And we need to wait on the Holy Spirit when it comes to anything, when it comes to personal relationships, when it comes to work, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to retirement, when it comes to whatever, we need to wait on the Holy Spirit. You know, like I said, we'll see the difference in the lives of the believers after the Holy Spirit gets directly involved. It's a, a fantastic difference. It's night and day. It's, I wouldn't even want to read the rest of the book of Acts if the Holy Spirit wasn't 
involved in it. But, you know, he says that they uh, he obtained a part, that this decision becomes an example of ministry in the flesh. And I think that this thing, even though they were trying to go about the right way, they were waiting on God in a sense. They were looking back to what things were done in the past and what their tradition said. God's usually much more simpler than that. And sometimes the answer in our life is very simple. Wait. Wait on God. Oh, well, let me go cast lots. Let's go see what we did in the Old Testament. Let's go get a couple guys together and figure out who the right one is. But God's answer is usually very simple. And I think that a lot of times when we have problems, it's because we've made things more complicated than they ought to be. You know, they were saying at the pastor's conference, just make it simple. Just teach the Bible. Make it about the Bible. You know, what do we do here? It's about the Bible. Obviously, there's fellowship and worship and other things, but the core of anywhere I go, whether you guys come here and I teach the Bible or I go somewhere else and listen to someone else teach the Bible or we get together as believers, it's what about the Bible? You know, so then what do we do? We have to wait for God's direction, His Spirit, and His Word. And if He hasn't give, if he hasn't given us those three, if we don't have a peace about a decision, wait. If you don't have a word about a decision, pray and wait. You know, if you've made a decision that's the wrong decision, then you can get out of it. Get out of it. Go back in a godly way. But if you can't, wait for God to, to move. Wait for God to make the next step. Amen? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and that is true. And God, that you just ask the disciples to wait. And while they give us a good example of maybe, maybe what not to do here, and we see that maybe they were trying in their flesh to please you and and go forward. They had a heart for the ministry. They had a heart for things to be done. But God, they just need to wait on you. Help us to wait on you, God. I got whatever you want to do in our presence, whether we meet next week or we don't, or I believe we will, but Lord, whatever we do, whether we go out evangelizing, whether we meet somewhere else, whether more people come or less people or whatever it is, God, may this always be about you. And may our lives be about you, God, as we go to work Tuesday, hopefully after Memorial Day or whatever we do later today or tomorrow. Help us to wait on you and trust you. And Holy Spirit, would you just fill us? We're free to have you in us. So God, please make your home in us and, and draw us close and help us to love each other and love you by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.